Welcome to the Networking with Plants in the Anthropocene podcast. This week, we're joined with a wonderful Dr. Katrina Sandalands, um, or Kate. <laughs> so welcome to the podcast. I'm so thrilled that you are joining us today. Thank you. Thank you very much, Kate. I can't wait to talk more about your work. But first, um, would you mind briefly introducing yourself to our audience? Certainly. Um, I am a professor uh, of environmental arts and justice in the Faculty of Environmental and Urban Change at York University in Toronto, Canada. I research and write at the intersections of environmental thought, queer ecology, sexuality and gender, and multi-species studies, particularly what I call critical feminist plant studies. Could you briefly describe feminist critical plant studies because because this podcast talks about plant studies so frequently um i think it might be useful to kind of briefly for our audience discuss what is the feminist part of that or what do you see that as that's a really good question i am of course very interested in conversations around plant embodiment plant intelligence plant uh, generation generativity plant communication, plant communication with people. Um, But the perspective that I want to take on that is one that actually emphasizes the power and political relationships in which those plant capacities are demonstrated and practiced in concert with other species. So I'm interested in uh, how plants are part of gendered relationships, but I'm also interested in the ways in which plants are entangled with people in relations of, of colonization. And plants are our companion species in in colonial projects, as I've written in some of my work. Um, And I'm also interested in the way that that plants are part of community with with racialized folks uh, and also um, entangled in the lives of people with disabilities. So I'm, I'm interested in how plants are plants but also how plants are with people in particular sets of what I call uh, phytopolitical or biopolitical relations. That's fascinating. Um, And um, we'll provide links to some of your work in the show notes, but that's a beautiful transition, I think, what you had just explained as feminist critical plant studies um, to my first question, which kind of situates you and um, a family member um, within some of those relationships. So in your article, Plants Matter, um, you share a beautiful anecdote about your mother's relationship with plants. And one plant in particular, I was wondering, um, would you mind sharing it with the audience? Absolutely. Um, so, so that article is actually published in a uh, the really interesting collection in the journal uh, Women's Studies, and we were asked to re- sort of respond to the question, what what matters, what matters most at this moment. So, of course, I responded with plants matter, and in this piece, I explore a number of different moments in which that mattering works out. There are different forays into the question of why do plants matter. Um, and, you know, one of them is, is very obvious, like they provide all of the oxygen and food on the planet. Um, that's that's a pretty that's a pretty big mattering. But the piece that you've asked me to read is actually a much smaller and, and more intimate uh, relation of mattering. The one thing that I should note is that in my writing, I refer to plants in the plural. Um, so I use the pronoun they and them when referring to plants. 
I know that there are other options to displace the itness of plants, but partly because I work in queer and trans ecologies and carry that tradition with me. And also partly because I think plants are very plural. Um, I think, you know, I think actually people are plural and it wouldn't hurt for everybody to be a they. But my commitment is to avoid writing about plants as an it by choosing the plural third person, um, which allows you know sort of a direct sense of connection with the plural third person person. So this is a part of the Plants Matter essay that comes right after I've you know, sort of made the point about photosynthesis. Uh, you know, it, it's it's about photosynthesis. How could anyone ever imagine plants not mattering? In the kitchen. In the space between the top of the cabinets and the ceiling, there are four jade plants, three aloes, and one Christmas cactus, all inherited from my mother, who died over 10 years ago. The plants are up there to keep them away from the cat, as seven out of eight of them are poisonous to her. There is a skylight, so everyone's happy. My mom had more than a green thumb. She could make anything grow in any conditions. She and my father, a master composter, shaped and nurtured a garden beside their Victoria house, Victoria, British Columbia, despite the almost non-existent soil and a punishing, shadeless southern exposure. Well ahead of her friends, she cherished native plants, camas, fawn lilies, chocolate lilies, shooting stars. She grew tomatoes, beans, and sweet peas in pockets of compost among the rocks. Her favorite plant, though, was a large peace rose that dominated the bed under the living room window. Every summer, the rose presented dozens of huge, sweet-smelling yellow and pink blooms. Mum watered the rose daily, talked to them often, and went to, often went out to a local farm every spring to get them fresh horse manure. When dementia overtook her, she forgot about the chocolate lilies and sweet peas. The rose, however, never failed to delight her. I'm not sure if she remembered their long relationship or was simply thrilled anew every time at their brilliant performance through the window. It didn't matter. The rose survived her by a couple of years, but my dad was no longer able to negotiate the, the yard to water them, and the plant was never the same. Perhaps they missed her. Dad doted on mum's indoor jade plants and aloes, though. When we sold my parents' house after dad died, I brought them all with me. There were dozens, and most of them are now with friends. One of them named her little jade plant June after my mom. The rest are in my kitchen because it matters to be able to continue to care. Thank you so much for sharing that story with us and um, somewhat related. Uh, do you have a favorite plant? I know it's it's one of the most difficult questions that we ask interviewees, I think, on the podcast. Um, but do you have a favorite plant? And if so, what is it? That it's like that's a, you're, you're asking, like, what is my favorite child? Um, <laughs> I have several favorite plants. Um, as we'll talk about later, there's always a plant of the moment for me, the plant that I'm currently obsessed by. Uh, and that plant at the moment is Urtica dioica stinging nettle. Uh, and we'll leave them aside for a few minutes. I do have some other favorite plants. Wherever I am, I have a garden. 
Um, and I garden partly because I love gardening. And I also love, I also garden because I love food. Uh, so I, there's always a herb garden, a herb garden, particularly no matter where I am. And one of the things that I love planting in a herb garden is lovage. Um, and lovage is, it's not the, it's not the most useful herb on the planet. It's, it's, um, um, I do, you know, I, you add it to soups and, and, um, some green sauces and, and I don't mean to suggest it's not useful, but it grows to be about six feet tall. Um, and it's a perennial and it's one of the first, um, it's one of the first plants to come through in the spring and it always sort of creates this magnificent, almost triffid like um, uh, a huge, huge plant being in the middle of the herb garden, most of which is relatively controlled at you know knee level. And then then there's this sort of massive, almost alien um, almost alien, huge plant in in the middle of the garden. Um, and I, I every year it feels like I'm sort of greeting, I'm greeting a friend. Um, and oh, there, there, there we are. Um, so I'm, um, I, I love lovage and I, I insist on having one in my herb garden, even though, you know, practically speaking, if I devoted all of that space to basil, it would probably be more used. Um, oh gosh. I have many favorite plants. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in a, in, in my kitchen and I'm looking at a tropical plant that was a, literally a rescue. Um, when my, when my neighbor died, um, the, the, the people who cleaned out her house sort of left a bunch of, uh, it was the middle of November in Toronto. So it was quite cold, uh, and le left a bunch of things on the, you know, for, for people to take, including this really quite lovely plant. So it would have, you know, an hour later and it would have frozen solid. Um, so I brought the plant in with me. I still don't actually know what it is, but it's it's really, it, it's very beautiful. And, and despite the fact that we've just discussed a bunch of house plants, I actually don't keep a lot of house plants. Um, but except, you know, I have, I have my mother's, I have this rescue. Um, so I feel, I feel that plants sort of like the animals that I bring into my house, they're, they're, they they need to, to come in with a story without, rather than me going out and purchasing plant commodities that, that, you know, sort of then decorate my house and filter my air. So I have, I have a, I have a rescue plant um, that I'm, I'm, I'm very fond of. So another part of your article, um, Plants Matter, um, you welcome the reader to consider this question, quote, what can we give back to the world in exchange for all the gifts plants have given us? End quote. Um, and I think even in, I don't know, I like relationships a lot. So even in your stories of plants and animals coming to you, like that seems like a gift in and of itself of an additional relationship to kind of have and enrich your life. Um, and so when we think about these gifts that the world has given us, um, you ask, what can we give um, in exchange? And I was wondering if you could share with us, what are some of your favorite ways of doing this? And do you have any rituals or practices around these reciprocal relationships? Another great question. Um, I, you know, a part, part of my commitment to feminist plant studies is that it's, it's not enough just to, just to say, okay, plants are really cool. There's also a question of, um, um, there's a sense of, you know, in order to practice what one might call non-extractive research, 
um, there, there's a sense of, of having a, a, an ethical orientation to what you're writing about. So when I'm writing about nettles, there's absolutely a, a you know sort of a, a, a geeky oh my god nettles are just the coolest plant ever and I'm going to I'm going to show you that. But there's also a sense of you know what what is the work that my writing is doing for the plants uh, and for the relationships in which the plants are are entangled. Um, so that's also the basic you know, as as I've already confessed I'm I'm a, I'm a gardener um, and. I, that's, that's really how I try to practice my, you know, sort of relations of, of, of personal growing and tending. Um, you know, again, in, in that, in that Plants Matter article, um, the, the first plant that I start with is an, is nodding onion, which is an indigenous food plant species from, you know, sort of the, the, most of the dry interior West, but, but it also, it also grows on the West coast. Uh, and I meditate. I'm, I'm, I meditate on what it means to grow nodding onion um, in this place at that moment, and that is, you know, obviously, you know, by by planting the plant and tending the plant, I'm engaging in a kind of restoration that, you know, is 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 about fulfilling older obligations to to the, to to particular plants in particular places. Um, and it's, I'm also, you know, I, I don't miss, I don't under any circumstances imagine that that is decolonization. Um, I, I, I disagree with some scholars who argue that planting native plants is a form of, is, is, is itself a form of decolonization. I think decolonization requires the leadership of indigenous people. Um, however, planting the native plant, uh, planting nodding onion in that particular case, is is a, is a practice of caring and tending that opens the door, you know, re reopens the door to the, the possibility of decolonial relations. So, so it's not a you know a cho choosing a nodding onion rather than a rhododendron um, is 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 a gesture of respect um, to the to to the land and and its historical caretakers. So that there's 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 a a, a care a carefulness, caring, and also carefulness in um, my choices about what to plant and, and where and how and what relationships are sustained in those plantings. Um, so, yeah, there's, you know, there. The, the, I, I think that I think that people who, who garden thoughtfully, uh, and I think there are many ways of gardening thoughtfully, um, I think pe people who people who garden thoughtfully are very much involved in ritual in, in in ritual relations of plant caring, mutual relations of plant caring and tending. Uh, you know, although I've just disparaged that poor lovage, um, you know, it feeds me and I feed it. Um, and there's and there's 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 something about that that just sort of the the ongoing seasonal ritual of that practice of reciprocity. That is that, that that you know I I I think that's not a bad place to to start to think about um, building you know building good relationships with plants. Not you know not not all gardens are practiced that way, um, but it, a lot a lot are, um, and I and I think that those those the, those circles of care and 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 reciprocity. I think there, there, there is something about gardening well and thoughtfully that 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 at a very bodily level, um, you know, sort of connect, connects plants and people in relationships of mutual tending.
I love the way you talk about seasonality as ritual. I agree. Gardeners seem to be in, in a different type of relation with that. And there, you know, there are, there, there, there absolutely, I don't, I don't want to sort of create an overly romantic picture of gardening as this essentially benign practice. Um, I think there are, there, there, you know, if you, if you sort of look at the history of, um, of your, you know, European um, and also some Asian gardening traditions, um, you see, you know, sort of a, a, a real imposition of imposition of control on the landscape. Um, in the service of aesthetics, in the service of colonialism, in the service of opulent displays of wealth, um, gardening has a very checkered history. My my, my colleague um, from uh, Würzburg, uh, Katrin Gerstorf, and I just edited an issue of Ecozona on on it's, it's called gardening and uh, gardening against the Anthropocene, uh, and some of some of the articles in that uh, collection might be of interest to to your listeners because they, they 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 grapple with some of these issues around um, gardening as a cultural practice. Um, that, that offers sort of generous possibilities for ethical relationship and also some less than generous possibilities. Yeah, definitely. We'll include that um, link for more information in the show notes. Um, I'm sure our listeners would love to hear more about that. Speaking of new works, um, you're working on a new book right now. Um, I'm not sure how much you feel like sharing, so don't feel any pressure to to share too much. Um, but I was wondering, we had already kind of mentioned nettle, stinging nettle, as an area of interest for you. Um and I was wondering if you could share with us what your relationship with Nettle, what is your relationship with Nettle? Um, why did Nettle emerge as a subject um, for your research and writing? And are there any surprising things that you've learned throughout the course of your research, Jean, with Nettle? That's a dangerous question if you want the podcast to end at some point. Um, so the, the the book that I'm working on very, very slowly is called Plantasmagoria, Botanical Encounters in the Manthropocene. Um, so it's a collection of critical feminist plant studies essays that takes particular plants. So the, the title is cribbed from Walter Benjamin's understanding of, 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 of Phantasmagoria, um, and in which he, he takes um in in his in his mammoth arcades project he takes pieces of uh garbage waste um and uh puts a sort of arranges them together in um in assemblages that show uh that, that that sort of take take the object out of their sort of bourgeois commoditized history and 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 show through the materiality of the things um, a, a, a different set of a, di a different set of ways in which those things are related. So my Plantasmagoria book actually does that quite literally. Um, so each I, I, I'm I'm taking very specific plants, um, and you know the my 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 extremely unscientific methodology is 
what plant have I, you know, what, what, what plant has come into my life and makes me obsess about it for, you know, several, several months, if not years of my life. Um, so I, I, I take these plants and I, I, I look at how those plants can tell a story about uh, biopolitics. Um, so nettles, nettles emerged in my life because I spend part of it on a small island in the Salish Sea, which is uh, the body of water between what is now the Canadian mainland and Vancouver Island. And so I live um, part-time on an island called Galliano Island. Galliano Island is a, is um, what was part of the, is, is part of the traditional and ongoing territories of several First Nations. It is now largely um, uh, inhabited by settler colonists of, uh, of various descriptions. Um, and it is, but it is actually quite sparsely settled. Um, the, the island, like much of the BC South Coast, has been uh, logged um, multiple, multiple times. Um, and so the, uh, with, with, with very few exceptions, the, 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 the forest, the forest lands are, are, are disturbed in, 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 in some way or another. They're not, they're not old growth. They're pretty big, um, but they're, they're not old growth. So this is perfect nettle habitat. Uh, they like, uh, they, they like, um, although they do, they do okay in full sun. They actually prefer sort of sunshade. Uh, and a disturbed regrowing forest turns out to be perfect, <laughs> perfect place for for nettles to, for nettles to grow. Um, so I came to I came to nettles um, because I was on Galliano, uh, and Galliano Island takes its nettles very seriously. So every spring. Um, that you know, I, I was thinking, I was thinking particularly about nettles when you were speaking about seasonality, um, because nettles are, are they, 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 they come at a very particular time. Um, and this year, uh, because I was paying a very close attention they, 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 I saw the first one right at the end of January. And then they, they proliferate, they, they, they become, you know, sort of, um, they, they make their presence very, very, very strongly known around, you know, around the end of March. And Galliano, the Galliano Island Food Program um, has since 2008 run an event that celebrates nettles, um, so, you know, sort of celebrates this, this, this um, um, accidental abundance um, in an event called Nettle Fest. Um, and and it's it's wonderful. Uh, sort of, I, uh, I, I volunteer for the food program when I'm there and we make vats of nettle soup and um uh nettles you know nettle spanakopitas nettle nettle pecoras um there's always there's usually a nettle cooking except for during covid there's usually a nettle cooking class that shows people how to you know shows people how to cook them uh it's run by you know sort of uh the uh, the, the the manager of the food program her name's Allison Colwell um you know, she just she sort of just sort of orchestrates a weekend of all things nettle, uh, you know, sh showing people where and how to forage them, how to cook them. And then there is the sort of the, the the crowning event of the weekend is 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 Galliano's top nettle, which is a cooking competition uh, in which local judges, you know, pe people people bring their nettle creations and they are judged 
and and somebody emerges triumphant as Galliano's top nettle for you know, nettle for the for that year. Um, and it's just it's just this it's it's this marvelous celebration of of this of this plant, uh, which just happens to be extremely abundant. Um, um, and it's you know it was the, the the event was 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 partly organized because there are some you know as 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 frequently happens in small rural in small islands particularly islands I think not everybody agrees with everybody about everything all the time and there were some particularly entrenched land conflicts about land use and the food program um, decided to create these community events such as Nettlefest um, it, Nettlefest was actually the first of them as a way of um, sort of orienting us to the abundance of the place rather than the scarcity of the place um, and, and, and making us think about, you know, sort of look at this amazing, look at this amazing um, and, and how we can, you know, sort of um, approach each other through our relationships to, you know, I'm sure they didn't say it in these terms, but it's all about, you know, sort of how do we approach each other in our common gratitude for this, this, this amazingly abundant species, uh, rather than fight each other about, you know, sort of our differences of opinion about what we think the land should look like. Um, so that was my introduction to nettles. Um, and, and, and since I, ever since I decided that one of my Plantasmagoria chapters was going to be about nettles, I see nettles everywhere. Um, I, I think I think about them possibly more than I think about some of my relatives. Um, I um, I'm you know I I I I I've inherited many very good nettle recipes um, from uh, from uh, Alison Colwell and others, uh, but um, I've also become uh, very interested in the you know sort of the different um, global histories of the use of nettle as textile. So there is there, there's a tradition of nettle used as textile on the west coast of Canada. Um, there are uh, uh, there's a there's a, a a very good book called Lucian's Plants by uh, which is a conversation between ethnobotanist Nancy Turner and elder uh, Lucian Arvid Charlie uh, from the uh, Couchin tribes. Uh, and there's there's a whole page uh, about you know sort of the different ways in which nettle was used. Um, and it was used as, you know, it was, it was, it was used medicinally, um, to treat arthritis and joint pain, uh, and actually to treat paralysis of the legs. So, so, so nettle is, is, is frequently used as a, it, it's taken both internally and used as a flagellant. So people smacking themselves, uh, in, in, in various places with nettles. Uh, and if you've ever had a counter, an encounter with nettles, you know, that that is not something to be done lightly. Um, so, so, so it was used um, medicinally, um, and especially it was used as a um, a source of fiber, uh, a textile, a source of, of textile fiber, and and like um, like hemp and like flax and like rami, nettle is a bast. It produces a what's called a bast fiber. So there there are um, the the podcast is not showing. I could not show my hand gestures. Uh, but the it, it um, the the inside of the plant um, once once you take take off the bark and take out um, some of the sort of quite gummy resin on the inside that you're left with long straight fibers uh, and those long straight fibers are incredibly strong um, and so the um, indigenous people of the west coast 
um, uh, used them, not uh, uh, twisted and knotted them into fishing, uh, into very, very strong fishing line, uh, and which was also very good for weaving fishnets. Uh, and if you've ever tried it, you're also not, your, reader, your, your viewers are also not going to see this, but I'm actually holding up a piece of incredibly strong um, twisted nettle fiber. Uh, and of course, nettle has been used as textile all over the world. Uh, and that's one of the things that really interests me about nettles is that they're a very cosmopolitan species. Uh, sorry, they're a very cosmopolitan family. There, there are different species of nettles, mostly that uh, they mostly grow in temperate, um, more temperate, milder climates. There are tropical nettles as well, uh, but the ever, pretty much wherever they're found in sort of the temperate world in, in, in North America, in Europe, in Africa, uh, in parts of Asia and in Australia, uh, and they're, they're, they're different, spe different native species of nettles, they've been used for almost exactly the same things. So they're, they're food um, in the spring, they are, and then the the, the fibers are are collected when the when the nettles are are to, toward the end of the summer or the fall when the when the, the the plants are actually quite you know quite tall and you've got these beautiful long straight fibers. Um, so they're used they're used for textile and they're used medicinally for exactly the purposes that Dr. Lucian Charlie uh, Lucian Margaret Charlie Charlie said they're useful for and and you know. Pharm pharmaceutical research has proven this. They're useful. They're anti-inflammatories. Uh, they're, they're useful as an anti-inflammatory um, taken internally and externally. Um, so the fl flagellation is actually has, you know, it, it opens, it, 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 it produces a histamine reaction, which is actually very good for uh, both osteo and rheumatoid arthritis. Um, it's a it's a, it's a blood cleanser. It's actually phenom it's a phenomenally nutritious plant. I forgot to mention that. It's got it, it, for for a green for a green vegetable. It's incredibly high in calcium. Um, so so it's so all over the world. It's been used for um, for for all of these different things. So it's 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 an incredibly generous plant, um, and people still hate it. Um, like the you know when, even 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 on Galliano, which takes its nettles very seriously, there are people who who just think, "What the hell are you doing? Like this is a weed. This is a nasty weed. This is a weed that if you that if it touches you, um, you you're going it's going to cause you pain. This is a weed that you eradicate at all costs." So I like to I, I like to think about um, nettles as very um, as very. Uh, well, I, I I say queer in their generosity. Um, you know, they're, they're, uh, they 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 demand a certain uh, they they demand an appreciation beyond the obvious. Um, and the minute you sort of develop that uh, that that appreciation, the 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 gifts that they have to offer are so rich and so abundant. Um, that it's 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 really it's really quite stunning. Like I, I find I find myself feeling, um, in, you know, particularly after I've done after I've done this research on on all the different thing, all the different gifts that nettle, nettles offer up. I find myself being you know sort of almost in awe of their of their of their generosity. Um, the, the the I'll tell I'll tell one other nettle story. I was in. Um, I spent. Uh, I spent some time in the the Kew Gardens uh, archives um, in Richmond, in London, this summer. Um, and uh, of course, nettle, nettles are there. Nettles are actually more more recognized as a useful plant 
uh, in England, uh, and particularly England, I'll say, um, because I think those the, the histories have been less violently repressed than in, in Canada, uh, the land now known as Canada. Um, so so, so nettle, nettle knowledge is a little bit more on, on the surface. During the Second World War, um, there there the because of because of the the blockades because of the the war in the Atlantic, um, a lot a lot of uh, products, including paper and uh, and cloth fiber, um, were not you know couldn't make it to couldn't make it to the island to 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 the UK, um, and so there was a sort of an intensification of. Um, Effort, a lot of which went through Q about you know how do we make how do we make use of the stuff that we've got. So nettles everywhere. Um, there there were a number of uh, initiatives uh, that, uh, that 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 th th they weren't necessarily by Q, but they went through the the the, the scientific director of Q at the time. Um, to find you know, to 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 find things that nettle could be useful for, and those included uh, as a source of chlorophyll, um, and also uh, for paper um, and for uh, and for and for textile fiber. Um, they weren't as interested in the food part, um, which surprises me slightly. Anyway, they were used to the, so they they were interested in sort of developing a uh, an industrial an industrial process through which nettle could through which these gifts that nettle offers could be offered up at a large on a larger scale um and it failed it was a it was it was a magnificent failure the the, the last um the last file in the you know sort of the big pile of you know sort of here was the nettles program at q is um the uh, the then director uh, metcalf Reflecting twenty years later, as he's obviously sorting through the 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 paper for the archives, he it 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 says that this 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 project was a monument to folly, um, and it just it was it was the biggest the biggest folly in which he'd ever had a chance to participate because nettle refused the 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 way the 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 removal of the bast fiber um, from the nettles is incredibly labor intensive and there's it turns out that there actually is no way of doing it of doing it effectively efficiently at an at an industrial scale and they tried everything um so not only is nettle um sort of queer in its generosity like sort of demanding um you know sort of what, what one person said you know so sort of it, it, it it it's sort of a plant that says fuck you every time um that it that it's used um, and you know, so its very existence is, uh, is 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 prickly. Um, so you have to not only do you have to get past that to appreciate the generosity of nettle, but it also doesn't. It also only gives up its gifts to people who are willing to pay respectful attention to the nettle. So if you want to commoditize the nettle, it's not gonna. It's it's it it, it refuses. It you know it's sort of it's saying fuck you again. Like I will not be industrialized. So I, 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 I just, yeah, I, I, I'm a, an archive geek. Um, and I, I just, I was just so thrilled that, uh, at, at that story, I feel very sorry for the, you know, sort of the, 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 the Q employees who were, um, you know, directors and employees who were, who were so, um, desperate to find that, 
uh, that that decortication process, that's the, the process of removing the dust fiber, a decortication process that was effective and efficient. Uh, and I'm sorry that they wasted a lot of time on it, but I'm so thrilled that, you know, there's there's this plant that just will not be an industrial, just refuses to be an industrial commodity on that scale. It's sort of, it's, it's demanding again um, as uh, of a certain kind of appreciation. I told you I talked. I could talk about nettles for a very long time. <laughs> that's incredible, and I'm I'm kind of pleased that that's the end of that. That's how the story went because I had heard anecdotally um, that nettle is very difficult to work with. I do textile art sometimes, and I'm a hand spinner, um, so I use like drop spindles yeah. and yeah. supported spindles, and I had thought that it was the case that nettle was just one of those that was really difficult to process but is worth it because of some of the properties yeah. that have the textile yeah. like you have mentioned its strength and so it's yeah it's kind of interesting that that is the outcome of all of that time and resource you know yeah. devoted to industrializing the process and you know nettle, nettle is used as a textile all over the world but it is, as you say, recognized as you know. Sort of, this is this is a, this this is a very this is a demanding process. Uh, you know, it's it's worth it at the end, uh, but it's a demanding process. Um, they they found uh, oh I'm going to get the details wrong. Um, there is the, the, in in excavations in Denmark, uh, they found a grave. I think about four thousand year old grave, um, and there the 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 body is. It's it, this is obviously a very wealthy person, uh, and the body is shrouded in nettle clothing. Uh, so that so so that that seems to me a pretty good indication of all right. This was you know this was um, and then and, and apparently the nettle was not the nettle fiber that was used was not indigenous to the region, so it was imported nettle clothing so you know it was it was, it was a nettle fabric was a status symbol um, and I can I can certainly understand why as I was reading your work something that struck me that I think is really interesting and important especially right now as we're figuring out <laughs> what our position is as humans in all of these different ecosystems um, and relationships. Um, one thing that your that runs through your work is the theme of kinship. And I think kinship is such a valuable way to think about things, but there are also different ways that we can view kinship and understand it. Um, and so some listeners might be familiar with your work on kinship, others may not. And so I was wondering, um, what does kinship mean to you and how does it relate to the relationships that we have with other beings or the identities that we hold? Um, first, first of all, I want to be very clear that I am, although I'm very respectful, uh, um, and, and uh, well, I, I have a great deal of respect for and consider it my responsibility to be aware of indigenous traditions of, of, of thinking of plants as kin. Um, and so I'm, I'm obviously I'm thinking particularly of, of Robin Wall Kimmerer, uh, but there, but there are, there are many others. 
Um, so I, 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 I read and, and, and appreciate and learn from those, those traditions, uh, but they are not mine. Um, and so I don't want to simply say, oh, look, um, uh, you know, I am going to, um, I, I'm going to think about plants as can in just the way that, you know, in, in, in just the way that, um, um, you know, um, an, an Anishinaabe, you know, her, herbal doctor would, would understand the plants as can. Um, I come, you know, as I, as I, as I come from queer and feminist uh, theory, there isn't there, there there are other traditions of talking about kinship that particularly come through queer theory, um, and that is uh, you know sort of through um, the uh, you know, sort of th thinking about the ways in which uh, heteronormative forms of family um, and family in particular um, are are you know, sort of are, are are part of the problem um, for um, you know sort of consumer you know consumer capitalist relationships uh and it, you know it is in fact the sort of the the proliferation of this idea the heteronormative idea of the of the family um as the basic unit of consumption um is you know is is very strongly related to you know sort of um um, sort of the, the the urban sprawl, for example, you know, sort of to make sure that there are enough little boxes on the hillside uh, for you know, sort of all of the nuclear, all of the heterosexual nuclear families to have a place. Um, and although some queer, uh, well, I'll say some LGBTQ plus politics have said we want to have that, we want to have the same access rights to those little boxes. My argument is that no, actually, queer. Queer ecology, queer theory um, needs to you know, sort of challenge to challenge that family form, um, and to challenge the consumer relations that go along with that family form. So um, kinship here is uh, a way of thinking about relationships that do not reify the biologically reproductive nuclear family as the key unit. Of, of of planning, thought, consumption, relationship, sociality, um, and there there are all sorts of of uh, queer uh, of queer queer trans communities uh, uh, that do that. Um, some choose the language of you know sort of chosen family. Uh, I don't. Uh, I, I you know I you know why why do we need to have family in there at all? Um, so uh you know recognizing that that kinship that 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 the that the kinship is actually a key vector of biopolitics so you know who is and is not allowed to have relationships with whom is 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 you know sort of as 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 folks like Kim Tallbear have pointed out that's you know sort of one 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 of the key ways in which colonialism operated uh, op, sorry, operates, um, but you know, sort of th thinking particularly about um, you know, sort of the, the the regulation of indigenous family forms. Um, but uh, the kinship is still one of the ways in which um, in which biopolitics operate because um, uh, it it the the you know who can on can who can and cannot have relationships with whom and how are those relationships societally supported um is what we otherwise call heteronormativity 
Um, so rather than mimic that, um, I think that it is really important for, um, you know, sort of folks who think queerly about the world, um, including the more than human world, uh, to, to think about the ways in which other species are also part of our relational networks. Uh, and to think about them as uh, as as related to us, um, you know, even if not, even if not, you know, sort of at a, at a you know, sort of at, at a at, at the level of evolutionary tree, we might be a very long way apart. Um, but at the level of conviviality, at the level of of, of reciprocity, at the level of attunement, um, there 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 are ways in which you're know, sort of thinking about uh, other species. Uh, plants, particularly, uh, as as, um, uh, as as related to us, um, and 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 as part of our circle of moral obligation, um, I, I, I think that's actually that that actually you know back to our earlier conversation about gardening. That's actually a very um, embodied, intimate, personal way of of of, of thinking, not just about. Uh, what what are you know what can I get from the plants? But all right, what are my obligations back to the plants? Um, I you know they're, they're if they if they are my uh, if they are my 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 friends, my kin, uh, my circle, my people, uh, then what are my obligations back to them? One of the things that the networking with plants in the Anthropocene group um, or collaboration kind of hodgepodge group of, of people coming together, um, one of the areas of interest is exploring respect for plants. And I think that this has come up kind of often throughout our conversation, um, but just for listeners who have a specific interest in ideas around respect. Um, how would you view having respect for plants, especially because sometimes in, I don't know, I'm, I'm coming from philosophy where there's uh, analytic philosophy, where there's a definition for everything and everything's put in a clean little box, you know, and sometimes I think uh, having more fluid and um I don't know having a more relational approach even can muddy some of those waters a bit um what is having respect for plants for you is it the reciprocal gift giving um with plants is it the acknowledgement of plants of kin what is that for you and how is it embodied um, I think um, re respect is a spectrum of relationships. I'm sorry, I'm really not good at analytic philosophy boxes. Um, for me, respect re respect is a is is a is a a, a spectrum of, of of possibilities that um, that that describe human you know, pe people's relationships with plants and plants' relationships with people. Um, I think that you know at 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 a very basic level, plants have the um, you know pl plants have plant things that they want to do in the world. They they have 
uh, and I'm, I'm trying to avoid, you know, sort of inter the language of interests and, and, you know, sort of inherence um, and, you know, sort of ontol in, on plant ontologies. Um, but but pl plants have a series of planty things that they want to do in the world. You know, they, they do not arrive on the planet for the benefit of people. Um, so they, 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 they have, they, they are subjects of a life. Here we go. Um, who, um, um, who, 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 um, who, 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 who want to pursue their, you know, their, their own unique forms of liveliness. Um, and that this is actually one of the reasons why that why I find sort of the question of you know sort of plants as companion species in colonialism to be particularly interesting because you know it's not it's not just that plants came with white colonists it's that plants came with white colonists and then proceeded to do their own things in ways that the white colonists didn't necessarily imagine um, which could get us into a conversation about invasive species. Um, many, many of which are, you know, garden escapes. Um, so uh, anyway, they, so, 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 so plants, plants have the, 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 you know, plant, plants, plants, plants are here to be plants and, and to pursue plant onto, you know, to, to pursue their own lives. Um, and the base, you know, so, 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 so the, the, the fundamental, the, the fundamental, thing is to is to to recognize that to simply acknowledge that they're not just here for me to eat or use or cut down and make into you know to to trees uh sorry cut down and make into timber um so getting getting beyond that I, the idea of plants as standing reserve um and, and 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 imagining that they are subjects of a life is 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 just a very you know sort of there there's a very there is a basic respect there um, and that respect generates the question, um, you know, are, I, I'm not suggesting that we don't use plants. We can't get, we can't live without using plants. That's, um, you know, the, the, the idea that, that, um, yeah, we, we, we can't, we can't live by using plants. So I'm not suggesting that we start being breath, breathinarians or, or, or fractarians and, and, you know, stop, stop killing things. It is in, it, it's in the nature of us as omnivorous beings to kill plants um but that you know really suggests that you do do it a bit carefully um and and and, and with some acknowledgement that you know th this plant that i'm eating could have had a different you know could have had a very different life um so um yeah to 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 for, for, for me at a, at, a, at a very basic level respect for plants means not you know sort of acknowledging the um the, the the ways in which our biological unfolding as human beings has an impact on the biological unfold, unfolding of plant beings um i'm not um I'm, I'm not interested in getting into an argument about plant rights. Um, rights are not the language that I choose to use to express any of these things. Um, I think it's, you know, it's, it, it's a, it's an interesting conversation. Um, I'm, you know, I, 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 I remember that sort of Swiss document that attended that, that, that attempted sort of, sort of to, to, scientifically formulate you know sort of or, or or develop sort of some kind of philosophical consensus on on uh plant uh 
you know, on, 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 on what ethical conduct toward plants would, would look like. And the only thing that they could agree on was that randomly picking a flower for absolutely no reason and abandoning it was unethical. Um, and in fact, I'd say from the plant's perspective, I would say, well, actually that kind of depends. You know, if you, if you pick the flower when it was in, you know, sort of in the process going to seed, like if you, if you randomly pick a, dan a dandelion and blow on it, you are actually helping perform the reproductive work of the dandelion. So, and it was a very, it was a very unphytocentric view of, of plant rights. But so I'm, I'm just, the, the, for me, you know, yes, okay, great, go for it. If you want to have those arguments, wonderful, but that's not where, that's not where I'm going. But I, I hope that my work on individual plants as agents, uh, as, as actors, as, as, as beings that actually shape what people do and think and, and how they relate, that that, that work is actually um, a means of cultivating, you know, sort of greater appreciation and respect for, for, for particular plants. Um, and sometimes like nettles, not particularly loved plants. Definitely. And as you mentioned before, um, another possible type of not terribly loved plants um, might, include um invasive plants um one of the things i love both about your description that you just offered about having respect for plants and kind of all of the different multi-facets that that discussion in and of itself has um I really love your discussion of invasive plants because it's messy. And though I come from <laughs> a tradition of analytic philosophy, I resonate more, I think, with the messiness because I think lived experience is pretty messy. Um, and I know it's an incredibly fraught topic um, with many people taking firm, both ideological and ethical stances on things like invasive species. Um, but I love the nuance with which you discuss the topic um, when it appears. And so I was wondering if you might share some of your thoughts on invasive species and our relationships as humans with them. Um, I, um, you know, again, my, my work proceeds through particular plants. Um, so I don't know if I'm able to make a, a, you know, sort of an over overarching. You know, here's what I think about invasive species. Um, I'm I'm interested in the particular relations that particular plants constellate around them. Uh, one of the plants that I have written about um, is um, Cytisus caparius, uh, Scotch broom, um, which on the west coast of of North America is considered one of the top ten invasive species. Um, it is, you yeah, I don't know too many people who love it. Um, there are some people who grow other kinds of broom in their gardens, but by and, by and large, Scotch broom has been consigned to the um, most, you know, sort of uh, most wanted list. Um, and uh, the, the 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 primary response to it is 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 not how can I respect it, but how can I kill it? Um, so. I, I think that there are all kinds of really good reasons to um, participate in practice, you know, sort of attentive practices that reduce the number of scotch broom plants in this moment um, so that 
um, um, so, 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 so that so that other kinds of plants might have a fighting might have a fighting chance in similar kinds of landscapes. So I'm not suggesting just let it go. Um, I, you know, there, there are, um, and, but, but there's, you know, there's, there's, there's a range of possibilities and I don't mean, you know, air, aerial bombardment with, you know, with, um, uh, uh, Roundup is not a good plan. Uh, actually any bombardment with Roundup is not a good plan. The invasive species management is a multi-billion dollar industry. Um, and I think there are ways of, of thinking about invasive species and developing a, um, there, I've, I've just talked about invasive species in the universal. There's, there, there are ways about think, of thinking about Scotch broom that don't necessarily involve that, you know, sort of that that, that idea of they must be killed at all costs, um, you know, see, search and destroy. Um, I, I think they can, um, you know, through um, um, man, you know manual cutting. Um, you sort of ground ground a kind of a kind of appreciation for how damaged the land is in which uh, it, it, and it often is for for Scotch broom they 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 colonize uh, it's not just disturbed but usually catastrophically disturbed landscapes. Um, so I, I I do think that that invasive species that 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 Scotch broom blitzing as it is called um, can be thoughtfully done um, however I think the most important thing to for, for 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 us for settler colonists like me on the west coast to think about is not it's not is not the, the most important thing is not to say okay scotch broom is invasive it is evil and I will help purify the landscape by getting rid of it while leaving myself. <laughs> completely intact. Um, so I, th I think one of the most important thing that things that that we can that we as settler colonists and, and, and settler colonist plant studies scholars can do is trace the histories of these of these you know, sort of intertwined multi-species colonialisms. So Scotch broom came to the west coast of, of, of North America through very specific means. Um, and you know, so it, 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 it is entangled in it, it is it, it is entangled in relations of colonization. Um, it then proceeded to do things beyond what um, they were what, what what the plant was supposed to do. Um, and they um, uh, Scotch broom was also used, um, which which gets less talked about. Scotch broom was also used very intentionally by both. The province of British Columbia and um, the uh, I'm sorry, forgotten which branch of the U.S. government um, to was actually actively promoted as a ground stabilizer for um, industrial for, for uh, infrastructural development projects. So there's there's it's 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 not just an accident that broom is by the sides of roads. It was planted um, precisely to stop erosion, which it does very effectively. Um, along the sides of the the, the expanding uh, highway system in the in the wake of the Second World War, um, you also see it. You also see it. Not not it, it it was planted. It's not just accidentally there. It was planted in hydro hydroelectric development hydroelectric corridors. Um, so you know these these are catastrophically disturbed soils. Uh, these are huge infrastructure projects, and Broom was actively deployed um, to help create. 
you know, so, so, to help keep the world safe for infrastructure, essentially. So to then turn around and say, oh, by the way, we hate it now is, 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 is incredibly bad faith, I think. Because uh, it is not, sorry, I just said it. Broom are, broom are not the problem um, per se. Broom are part of the multi-species process that is settler colonization. Um, and it is, you know, sort of, it, it is on us to, um, it, it is on us to, to think about, all right, now what do we do? Um, you know, this is, this was a, you know, rather than sort of castigated, you know, sort of as if we can sort of remove ourselves from the narrative of colonization, um, you know, by saying, okay, we're going to get rid of the broom and, you know, so we'll, we'll restore the native ecosystem, um, and then everything will be fine. Uh, to to actually to actually think with the stories about the land that Scotch Broom is telling us as a way of reflecting on the multi-species nature of our own, of, of colonization itself. One of the plants that I have written about recently is uh, mulberries, um, specifically, and, 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 and mulberries as they are, as they make an appearance in the city of Toronto. Um, and that um, <clears throat> the, the, the mulberries actually turn out to be really complex, interesting. And they, they tell a really interesting story. In fact, they tell two very interesting stories. And one is a story about um, the, the way in which species is understood, because um, one of the, the one of the one of the key uh, things, um, one of the one of the key worries about Morris rubra, which is in the native mulberry species, red mulberry, is that it is being it, it is that it is hybridizing with Morris alba, which is an invasive species of mulberry, white mulberry. Um, so, you know, sort of, I meditate, sort of, I have a meditation on, well, what is, you know, sort of, if, if that hybridization is happening, what happens to our understanding of, of the, of the identity of, of, of this plant in this, in this particular context? Um, it, you know, it, it's, you know, and, and, and why is the, um, the Canadian government and the Ontario government so obsessed with the species, with the purity of red mulberry um, when it is not doing anything about the conditions in which the, the in, in which the, the it, it's, it's not doing anything about the, the conditions that are actually allowing the white mulberry to thrive. Uh, white, white mulberries are, are very resistant to pollution um, and they, they like people, they like disturbed soils. That's one of the reasons why they are doing pretty well. Uh, red mulberries are actually are actually shyer and prefer forest lands. Of course, those are being disturbed. So there's sort of this obsessive concern with the purity of the species, um, as opposed to the conditions in which plants live. Um, the other story is that that mulberries, white white mulberries, were re regularly planted as street trees, um, and the um and, and because they're pollution resistant because they grow quickly and as is the case with most urban street trees the males of the species are preferred because they don't make a mess 
uh, in this case, mulberries make uh, female mulberries make a glorious mess. Um, and so there are all, all over the city of Toronto, there are male mulberries. I have, there's one in my front yard and male mulberries, um, the mulberry, mulberries are, are frequent, frequently, but not always expressed as di dioecious. Um, so, um, hence male and female, um, and the male mulberries in the spring produce clouds, they're wind, it's wind, they're wind pollinated. So they produce clouds of pollen. They're actually one of the most allergenic, um, species, tree, tree species. Um, and they are, they're actually banned in, in many U S cities. And, and, and I think that the paper mulberry, which is, a uh, a cousin is is banned in uh, several several South Asian cities as well for exactly that reason. They're just these huge allergen producers. And the irony is that um, if you planted planted a balance of male and female, um, or planted more female trees, that would not be a problem. So it's sort of this this marvelous story about hubris, about the you know the idea that we can that 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 Western modern urban planning humans can use trees for a particular set of purposes, uh, and then oops, what happens when they the trees actually do things the plants actually do things that are a bit excessive to those purposes? I'm interested. I was interested in in what kinds of stories can mulberry mulberries tell us? And there's the story, there's the story about purity, and then there's the story, the story about excess, and specifically sexual excess, because the pollen is part of the plant's sex life. So a second area of interest for the networking with plants collaboration is education. Many of us are teachers and students. Um, and one of the areas that we're exploring um, is what education should look like with plants. Um, there are lots of different examples, sometimes involved like dissecting plants or doing other things, but they're also kind of more liberation focused educational endeavors with plants. Um, how would you imagine, or do you consider yourself a teacher or student or both? And how would you imagine a good kind of like educational experience with plants? Um, I consider myself both a teacher and a student. Um, the The primary context of my teaching is the sort of the post-secondary classroom. Um, and I also am a, you know, an ad, I, I'm, I'm, very excited to learn about, you know, I, I recognize that that, 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 that the situation of that pedagogy and the, the particular way that I do my research gives me a particular perspective on, 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 on particular plants. Um, and I am absolutely thrilled to learn about plants from people who practice in different ways. Um, you know, there are, there are some amazing and generous um, uh, teachers of, of indigenous, uh, you know, in, in indigenous plant knowledge and plant relationships, um, you know, acknowledging that, um, that, that settler colonists might not get to know all of, might, might, you know, might never quite get it and also might not be invited into sharing um, all of that knowledge, which I completely respect. Um, I, I, I think that the world, I, I think there, there are so many very, very generous uh very, very generous people who have have shared um, 
have have shared their their botanical traditions, their plant relationship traditions. Um, and you know, there's there's a there's uh, I, you know, I I I I think about the work of Nancy Turner, uh, um, who you know is a, an incredible uh, an incredibly prolific ethnobotanist. Um, and she's used her 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 privilege as a as a scholar to empower indigenous people to reclaim their own plant knowledges, uh, and to use that in, in and to and to use those knowledges in 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 ways that involve both you know, sort of cultural um, you know cultural re- cultural repatriation and and also to you know argue for sovereignty rights. Uh, so. Um, um, I you know I I think I think she's she's just a, a, a stunning example of somebody who can you know, sort of take her her place in academia uh, and use it to empower uh, and, and and use it to empower um, uh, others um, and and then there there are there are also many many uh, many many traditional teachers uh, who very you know very very generously offer their uh you know their 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 plant knowledges that 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 are you know sort of are part of part of oral tradition they sort of the one of the one of the things about the uh the internet is that you know sort of it is a it it turns out to be a very very uh, effective carrier of of oral traditions um so i'm i'm uh i I'm, I'm delighted to learn from a from a variety of perspectives um the The stories that I want to tell about plants are particular, but they all have as their aim um, the development of an understanding of uh, uh, an awareness of the role that plants play, whether or not we like it. Um, the the role that plants play in the unfolding of human activity, and and for me, that uh, you know th- that that pedagogy that that sort of quietly insistent sort of pedagogy um, is um, it 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 doesn't it doesn't claim to master the plant. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't claim to Sort of say here. I know every. I now know everything about this plant. It's it's it it is intentionally a very particular story that show, shows how this 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 set this set of plants or this set of plant relationships haven't unfolded in this particular place with the activity of the plant foregrounded. Um, and and for me, that's sort of the basis of my of my plant pedag- you know sort of be- because I am a scholar and I do scholarly work and I write and I teach that that's how that practice develops um, that develops formally. Um, it, informally, I also share nettle recipes and learn about uh, you know learn learn about how do we you know how to weave with nettles and where to find the best nettle patches and what kinds of I forgot I didn't even begin to talk about the generosity of nettles to other species uh, you know what what insects like nettles what specialist insects require nettles um, so. Um, the yeah so the, the the basis of my pedagogy is to is to sort of quietly and insistently say here's why you know back to the back to the title of the article that we began why plants matter 
Is there anything else that you would like to share with the audience that we haven't had a chance to cover yet? I think that um, the the combination of thinking about plants as uh, standing reserve and thinking about plants as something that needs, uh, as a, a set of beings that need to be controlled uh, in order to, you know, sort of manage their, manage, ma- manage them into forms, of the, the forms of existence that people like. Um, I think those are, those are, those are a huge part of the source of the problem. Um, I, I'm not, you know, I, I've already said I'm a gardener. Um, it's, it's, so it's not a non-interventionist position, uh, but um, the, 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 um, control um sort of with without um sort of an, an control without attention to the desiring being of the other is um is is, is exploitation <laughs> uh is, is so it's, it's actually not sorry back up C- control um without attention to the sort of independent desires of the, of the, of the other is a form of oppression. Um, and the, you know, the, again, I don't want to get into this argument about, you know, can plants be oppressed? Well, can they suffer? Can they, that's, that's beside the point for me. Uh, they are, they are living, be- they are, they are living beings. Um, you know, people like Elizabeth Pavanelli have made arguments for non-life as well. Uh, but in, in this case, plants are, 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 are living beings and um, the, approaching them solely with an idea with, 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 uh, with, with you know, sort of capital, you know, sort of capitalist steeped um, relationships that focus on uh, extraction, instrumentalism and control uh, are, are, you know, the cause of the Anthropocene, quite frankly. So starting 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 with plants uh, is is not going to solve the Anthropocene, um, but it's you know sort of it, it it does offer a window into a different set of relational possibilities within political constraints. It's not just a question of you know it's not just a question of talking to my plants in the garden. Um, Thank you so much um, for spending time with us today on the podcast. I can't thank you enough. I find your work fascinating and I'm excited for our listeners if they haven't read your work before um, to read it soon. So yeah. Well, thank, thank you very much, Kate. I really appreciate your, your, your really, um, um, really smart, thoughtful questions. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for your, for your attention such a pleasure to connect with you. Um, If you are interested in connecting with networking with plants in the Anthropocene, feel free to check out our website at networkingwithplants.org or email us at networkingwithplants at gmail.com. Thank you so much. And we look forward to talking with you next time um, when we have another great conversation with another plant person. Take care.
The music piece is kindly offered to us by artist Mylise. Mylise is a sonic artist, immersive ecology designer, and clean energy ambassador. Merging art and technology, she creates music experiences that express the voices of plants and the other inhabitants of the earth. 